0: Tonight, what I'd like to do in the minutes that we have remaining is is go take a very unusual look at the Christmas story from the other angle. In fact, what I want to talk about is something I've never talked about at Christmas, and that is the dark side of Christmas. And there is a dark side. Typically we think of the lights at Christmas time. It's, it's the time of putting out the brightest of lights. It's an old tradition. That goes as far back as the 16th century when little bonfires were lit in churchyards and along roadways. And even Martin Luther, as we said this last weekend, put candles on Christmas trees to remind people that Jesus is the light of the world. It's a bright season. We put those lights out to remind us of that. Now, there's one family who has taken this to the extreme, that is the Osborne family, and I don't mean Ozzy and Sharon Osborne, but the Osborne family from Portsmouth, Arkansas. They decided to really do lights right all the way back from 1986 when, at that time, the little six-year-old girl said, Daddy, would you put up lights for Christmas? And he put up the first year in 1986, a meager 1,000 lights. by 1993, that grew to 3 million lights in his yard. It could be seen from 80 miles away in an airplane. (laughs) The very next year, 3.5 million lights. And now, the Disney Corporation has hired this family to do their theme parks. They have an Osborne night extravaganza of lights In fact, it's the biggest in America. It takes 800,000 watts of electricity to pull it off. 21,000 hours to install the fixtures. There are 32.2 miles of extension cords. A total of 350 miles of Christmas lights with the total number of lights being now five million. That's bright. But, you know, after Christmas is all said and done and people take down those lights, I hate that day. It's a dark evening after all the Christmas lights in the neighborhood go down. We like light. In fact, there's even a medical disorder with the acronym S-A-D, SAD. Seasonal affective disorder. They say when the days get shorter and it's cloudier and stormier, people have a tendency to get depressed. And they sell light boxes and they call it bright light therapy, where for 30 minutes a day you expose yourself to a light source that emulates the kind of sunlight that you would get on a normal day to cure this disorder. But there is a dark side of Christmas. There is a Christmas without the star of Bethlehem. There is a Christmas without the angels singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. There is a dark side. In fact, I'll put it this way. There is a real Grinch who would love to steal Christmas. And I want to read the story that comes to us from the book of Revelation, chapter 12. A little snippet put in poetical form. I'll read it to you. Now a great sign... Appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. There's the lights. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. We're all familiar with the Dr. Seuss story, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, that wily old curmudgeon who lived outside of Whoville and dressed up like Santa Claus and snuck into homes down in Whoville and stole the presents and the ornaments and the food and the trees and everything. Took him up to his perch outside of the town with a sinister grin. He couldn't wait for the population to wake up the next day and wail and cry because they had lost Christmas. To his surprise, on Christmas morning, he heard instead a joyous song lifted up from Whoville. And only Dr. Seuss can tell it the way it ought to be told. It says of Grinch, And he puzzled, and he puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he'd never thought of before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And he discovered you can't steal Christmas from people who have Christmas in their hearts. Can't be stolen from them. And he comes to that realization. Well... Satan tried to do that for real, to steal Christmas by destroying Christ. And in Revelation 12, what we just noticed and what I just read, we enter into a cosmic battle. It's an age-old warfare that has been going on for a long, long time in heaven and on earth. And there are some different players that are mentioned. There's the woman, there's the dragon, and there's the child. Those are the three different players in the story. Now, the woman who is going to give birth, I know it's Christmas and it's tempting to think, well, that's probably Mary, but it's not. It's best to see the woman as a symbol of the whole nation of Israel from which Jesus, Mary, and Joseph came. Because in the Old Testament, the figure of a woman... Was a figure used of that nation of Israel. Israel was sometimes called the wife of God, the wife of Jehovah. And we can identify this as Israel because back in the Old Testament, there was a young man named Joseph who was a dreamer of dreams. And one day he had a dream, and he told his mom and his dad and his brothers about the dream. He said, in my dream, I saw the sun and the moon and all of the stars bowing down to my star. His brothers, his mom and his dad all understood what that dream meant. It meant them, mom and dad, and the brothers, the family that would become the family, the 12 tribes of Israel. So here is a woman giving birth to a child. It is Israel bringing forth the Messiah, their hope, the one who would, as we sing in the song, deliver us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Second character is the child. And that's none other than Jesus Christ. And in these verses, several things are mentioned his incarnation. He was born of this nation. He was born. Second, his ascension into heaven. He was caught up, it says in verse 5, to God. And then also his coronation. He will rule the nations with the rod of iron. Now, that's Christmas for us. That's exactly what Isaiah 9 predicted. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. We sing that. We celebrate that. And every Christmas we sing Joy to the World. And you ought to know that Joy to the World was written by Isaac Watts. It had nothing to do with Christmas when he wrote it. In his mind, that hymn writer was thinking about the second coming of Christ when, as predicted here, that child would rule the nations with a rod of iron. So we have the woman, that's Israel. We have the child, that's Jesus. And we have the dragon, That's a poetic term for the original, ultimate Grinch. Not in the story of Dr. Seuss, but the devil himself. And the devil forms the dark side of Christmas. You see, the devil hates God. The devil hates Christ. And the devil would love to steal the real meaning of Christmas from everyone that he could. You see, and we're told here, when Satan fell from heaven, he he persuaded a third of the angelic hosts that were worshiping God to fall with him, to come with him in the rebellion, and effectively turned them all into demons. You also ought to know that whatever God loves becomes the object of the devil's hatred, which answers the question for you. Why is it that since I've been a Christian, I get hassled so much? It's because you're the object of God's love. You're the object of God's plan. And it's not that you mean a whole lot to the devil, but he's just simply trying to get at God, to hurt God. And so you're the object of God's love. It only stands to reason you would be the object of the devil's hatred. As Jesus said to Peter, One day, Peter, Satan has been asking for you lately. He wants to sift you like wheat. Object of God's love, also the object of the devil's hatred. It does stand to reason. It stands to reason that if you as a human being on this earth... Decide to give God back love and give God devotion and give God worship or maybe this Christmas you're going to say, I'm going to give my life to Christ or I'm going to serve Him in a more devoted manner. That's wonderful. And all of heaven is on your side. But what about the dark side? What about hell? You think... When the demons in hell and Satan himself hears that love you have for God, you think they're going to applaud that? Will they give you a standing ovation? Will they encourage you and say, that's awesome? They'll go, oh really? Well, let's see what I can do about that or what we can do about that. That's the dark side. You've defected from Satan's kingdom. And a third of the demons are against you. That's the bad news. But just flip the coin. If one-third are against you, two-thirds are still for you. So Satan and his gang are outnumbered. Well, those are the different players. I want you to notice now the diabolical plot. I'll read it to you. Just this section. This dragon, it says, listen, stood before the woman to devour her child as soon as he was born. What a grinch. So who would stand in front of a woman, be it a person or a nation, so as soon as a child is brought forth, would want to kill that baby? One who knew that that baby would spell his own doom and defeat. That's who. That's where the battle comes in. Satan knew that that baby born in Bethlehem was the promised one that all the prophets spoke about the one that is spoken about way back in the first chapters of Genesis, where after the fall of humanity, we read, where God says to Satan, from now on, you and the woman will be enemies, and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, if I were to tell you before the service tonight that I was going to crush your skull tonight, after the service, I would never do that, by the way. You have no fear. I don't have it in me. I have no desire. But if I were to to threaten that I'm going to crush your head tonight, you wouldn't let that threat go unanswered. You would figure out some way to avoid that possibility. That's exactly what we have with Satan. He thought, I'm going to destroy the Christ of Christmas as soon as he is born. Now, long before Christmas, the dragon, Satan, has been fighting the woman, Israel. Trying to destroy the promised seed that would come. Whether it was Cain killing Abel, Pharaoh killing the boys who were Hebrew children in Egypt... Haman trying to kill all the Jews in the Old Testament, Herod trying to kill the baby boys in Bethlehem, or Hitler trying to kill the Jews in World War II. It's to get at that nation because of its relationship with their Messiah. But then, finally, Christ was born into this world. Isaiah said he'd be born of a virgin. Isaiah also said in chapter 9 he'll be of the house of David. Micah said he'll be born in Bethlehem. And as soon as that baby was born, that's when the ultimate Grinch, Satan, really turned up the heat. Tried to destroy that baby. The first little cameo of that attempted destruction is familiar to you all in the Christmas story. I'll read it to you out of Matthew. When they had departed the wise men. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. But when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. That was the first attempt of the dragon trying to kill the child. The second attempt was some years later when Jesus was at his hometown in Nazareth in a synagogue service. And he proclaimed that he was the fulfillment of Scripture. He proclaimed that he was their Messiah, promised by Isaiah. And the Bible records, they thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. That was the second attempt to destroy The child. The third attempt came from Satan, who said to Jesus one day, Throw yourself off the temple. If you are the Son of God, let the angels catch you. All of these were attempts of the dragon to destroy the child, because the child was the promised one who would eventually bring destruction to the dragon. That's the cosmic war of the ages. And so, while we sing Christmas carols that are joyful, we realize that behind the joy, there is a battle. There is a dark side. In fact, I found, interestingly enough, an old Christmas carol that is entitled, Poor Satan. It comes from an old language from the medieval times called the Occitan dialect from southern Europe. It's about the devil having a hard time with the birth of Jesus Christ. And here's some of the lyrics of that old Christmas carol. Poor Satan is drained, exhausted as a chicken, and he'll die from the bruises. There's a little one worrying him, the child who just arrived. (laughs) I take pleasure in the thought that Jesus' birth brought anxiety to the devil. And it only just begun. That anxiety would grow as that child would grow. So we have these different players. We see the diabolical plot, but we have here also a divine plan. It's mentioned in one verse. Verse 5 reads thus. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. You see, Satan was unsuccessful in trying to destroy Christmas. He was unsuccessful in trying to destroy Christ. Jesus fled to Nazareth, or to Egypt first, and then eventually to Nazareth, until Herod died. Satan failed. Some will wonder, however, and say, but what about the cross? What about Jesus dying on the cross? Didn't Satan effectively destroy Jesus by getting him crucified on a cross? Well, I bet he thought so. I bet at the cross Satan couldn't have been happier. He thought he orchestrated the death of the child. Boy, was the resurrection a surprise to him. And perhaps that is the reason why you don't have many explicit predictions in the Old Testament about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's there, but it's not plainly and explicitly seen until after the fact. You see, Jesus predicted the cross. He wasn't murdered. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. So I'm sure Satan was thrilled at the cross I think he was utterly shocked at the resurrection. His plot backfired. And Satan puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. (laughs) Now what's he going to do? He couldn't stop Christ from being born. He couldn't stop Christ from finishing redemption. He couldn't stop Christ from rising from the dead or ascending up to heaven. And he's certainly not going to stop Christ from ruling over his creation with a rod of iron. No, he has not been successful. He hasn't stolen Christmas. He hasn't destroyed Christ. But there is a measure of success that the devil has with individuals. He is successful at picking off individuals, and his ultimate aim is to keep as many people away from Jesus Christ until their death as possible get them distracted, get them to be unbelievers, get them to believe in some alternate anything, anything to keep them saved. That's his plot. And he has been successful in picking off certain individuals, in removing Christmas from the heart because Christ is not in the heart. You see, that cosmic battle that we've been talking about is far from over. It doesn't just involve the woman and the dragon and the child It involves you. You're in the crosshairs of that battle. Same chapter, a few verses down. Listen to this. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. There's the rejoicing, but listen up. It goes on. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Will the Grinch steal your Christmas? Will Satan be successful in getting you to go through another year superficially without bowing your heart and your life to Christ? Will you let the Christ child who grew up and died and rose and ascended and will one day rule the earth, will you let him rule over you now? Well, back to that Grinch. You you, you remember how that story goes on after he's looking down at Whoville and he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't thought of before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's tiny heart grew Three sizes that day. What about your heart? Maybe your heart could grow. Maybe your own heart could grow in affection for that child who was not destroyed, who will rule, but until then loves to save. Loves to forgive. Loves to give clean, fresh starts to people. Loves that. Loves when people simply bow in humility and adoration and give their lives to Christ. Let's bow with a word of prayer. In fact, let's all stand together. We're about to close in a song. And before we stand and sing, let's just stand in our place and And in just a moment after we pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity this Christmas Eve to give your life to Christ. After we pray, I'm going to invite you, if you've come and you've never done that, you've never personally received Jesus as your Savior, you've never invited Him in personally as your Master, to do that. And I'm going to ask you to do it right here, right now. It's Christmas. It's His birthday. And you know what He wants? He wants you. You can't wrap yourself up and put a bow on yourself. That's not the idea. But just simply come as you are because He sees you as you are and He loves you as you are and He will forgive you as you are if you come to Him in humility and in repentance and in faith. So I'm going to give you that opportunity to give God what He really wants for Christmas and that is your life, your heart, your devotion. Heavenly Father, we pray on this wonderful night of great music, incredible song, these expressions that have been handed down to us through the ages and performed and sung so beautifully tonight. What depth they have, what meaning they have for us. Because they speak to us of a person that we know and that we love, an, an historic one who stepped into time from eternity and went back into eternity as he ascended into heaven. And will come back to the earth to rule and to reign. Until then, Lord, we want to see as many people come to Christ as possible. We know that's what you want. We know that's what Jesus wants. I pray, Lord, that you won't let this demonic, grinch, Satan, steal Christmas from people any longer. We pray for relatives that we have brought and friends that have come along and curious onlookers. We're so thankful for all of those who have made it out here this evening. We pray, Lord, that they won't stop. They'll step further into your love and make the ultimate choice of giving their lives to Christ. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.